It's, uh, it's so wonderful to be amongst you, it really is. And I don't know about you, but I find it really annoying, really unintelligent, really unhelpful, and really crass when people use sermons to advertise the ministry they're involved in. It's really annoying, isn't it? So what I thought I'd do instead was just give you an extra little advert now, and then I can crack on with what God's put on my heart. Is that all right? Wonderful. The Evangelical Alliance was started 172 years ago to do two things, to unite the church in mission and to give the evangelical church a clear, coherent and effective voice into every layer of society. I'm not sure there's been a more important time in those 172 years than the current one we live in. This is a great time to be alive and it's a wonderful time to be an evangelical Christian. Because in a long time, in living memory, I'm not sure there's been a greater opportunity to be salt and light. The Evangelical Alliance is a membership organization. It's made up of 4,000 churches, including this one. It's made up of 80 denominations, including NFI. It's made up of 650 organizations and thousands of individuals who say, together we want to change this nation, and not on our watch is this land going wrong. You know, and people often say to me, yeah, but what the heck is an evangelical? That's really easy. It's someone who believes the Bible is the inspired word of God. Do not change the Bible to fit your culture. Change the culture with the truth in the Word of God. An evangelical is someone who believes the death and resurrection of Jesus is the hinge on which human history exists. An evangelical believes in the need to be saved. I don't know about you, but I meet a load of my friends who seem to think that people come to faith by osmosis. And an evangelical is someone who believes in being active in the world to make the world more like the kingdom. Evangelicals led the abolition of the slave trade, but in recent times, evangelicals did cap food banks, street pastors, because we want the world to be more like the kingdom. And at the Evangelical Alliance, we simply say, we want the voice of the evangelical church to be louder in this nation. We want the mission of it to be more united. And we want to together make Jesus known in our day, which is why I unashamedly ask you to consider this morning becoming a personal member of the Evangelical Alliance. Because it's great that the church is, It's great that the denomination is, but we need as many people as possible standing together so that in our day and our time, we can change this nation to be more like the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Only costs a cup of coffee a month, three pound a month to be a member. That's outrageous, isn't it? I've got a couple of free resources for you this morning, irrelevant of membership. Firstly, speak up. This is the antidote to some newspapers you might read. Your newspaper might say you can't wear a cross to work absolute garbage. You can't wear a cross the size of your torso to work. Your newspaper might say you can't pray at work. That's not true. You can't take advantage of power relationships in the workplace. So we got together with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship and did Speak Up. It's a 16-page reminder of your gospel freedoms in the UK. Did you know that the United Kingdom has just about more freedom to preach the gospel than any nation on earth? Here's the thing, though. Use those freedoms or lose them. If we don't use them, our children and our children's children will not have them. We printed 5,000 of these thinking they'd last a year. We're past 90,000 now. Do take one. We launched in the House of Commons. I did one of the two seven-minute talks. I preached the gospel in the house. At the end of my time, an MP says to me, I've not heard the gospel preached here for a long time. I said, invite me back. I'll do it again. (laughs) He said, why? I said, it says I can in this booklet. You know, we've got to know our freedoms. Secondly, I joined um, the Evangelical Alliance from Youth for Christ. I worked for Youth for Christ for 14 years. I care so passionately about young people. If there's a hole in the roof of this church, stick a bucket under it, but don't stop investing in kids. 
But when I joined the EA, I went around the country getting people excited about reaching people, but not giving them anything. So we produced a website, which ironically I've got a leaflet about. And I'd encourage you all to take one of these at the end. We produced a website called greatcommission.co.uk. It's a one-stop evangelism hub where you get a story a week of someone coming to faith. You want to change culture, tell a different story. Tell the Jesus story. God's changing lives. There's a blog section on there, how to take ownership for your street. There's a prayer section because we overestimate our activities and underestimate our prayers. Then there's an act section where there's over 200 different resources you can find. It's the only website in the world where you search for adult small group material and you will find Alpha next to Christianity Explored. Why? Because we're the Evangelical Alliance. You search for what you want to reach, it's all there. And where we find gaps, we're then trying to catalyze them. We're currently trying to do a a mega resource for parent and toddler groups because the church, there's more than half of them in the country and most of them sing about wheels on a bus, not wise men building their house on a rock. We want to see change in our day, don't you? Check that out. Finally, if you become a member of the EA today, I'll give you three presents. Not not for any kind of manipulation, but simply because I like you. And so if you sign up for £3 a month, I'll give you this firstly, which is 10 three-minute videos on evangelism in the UK. What is the gospel? How do we share it? Is it offensive? What do we do with it? And then I'd like to give you two books. First one's this. Anne and I wrote this book on how do you see young adults and younger people keep going with Jesus, overcoming the stuff in the way, overcoming the problems they have. Read it, then hand it on to someone. I'd love to give you one of those. And secondly, Game Changers, which Anne and I wrote, which is about the story of Moses. How does an encounter with God give you the confidence to take on your landscape, see it transformed so that the nation could be totally different? It could happen. And if you don't like reading, TBN, Freeview Channel 65, Thursday night, half past nine, watch it on the telly. Love to give you those. Love you to consider signing up to the EA, but now I'd love us to pray as we turn to God's word. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the fact that we get to gather together in freedom today. And I thank you that we have complete gospel freedom to get out of this building and tell anyone we like about you. And I just pray you might challenge us a bit about that today. I pray you'd open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you want to say this morning. Lord, I pray we'd also have fun. Seems outrageous your family gets together and doesn't have fun. I pray we'd have fun. So as I share with my friends over the next 15 or 16 hours or so, I pray you'd minister to us. Whether it's through me or in spite of me, Lord, we invite you to speak to us. Amen. Um, I was having a dinner with my son, Daniel, not that long ago. My son, Daniel's seven. And I said to him, Danny, what do you want to do when you grow up? He says, when I grow up, I want everyone in England to not be a Christian. I was like, oh, wow, this is going well. He says, so I can make them all a Christian and beat you. (laughs) Evidence of original sin, but also evidence of misunderstanding. You know, right now, the church is living in a misunderstanding in this nation. The landscape's really hard. Don't fool yourself. We're not living in any kind of Christendom model anymore. The landscape's really hard. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. You know, the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year 18 months ago was post-truth. Then the Collins Dictionary Word of the Year six months later was fake news. For a start, what cretins come up with these? Both of those are two words. But my mum, when I was little, had a different single word that covered all four of those words. Lying. We live in a culture where there's an alternative reality. or You're not lying, it's just fake news. No, it's lying. We need to contest for truth in a world that thinks there is none. I'll tell you something, as long as there is air in these lungs, I will not stop saying, Jesus is not an option. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
It's not a lifestyle choice. It's not a possibility. It's the only way. It's not post-truth. It's truth-truth. It's not fake news. It's authentic truth. We carry something that, that is an antiseptic within culture, but it feels at first to people like a virus. But we mustn't back down. There's a chill factor towards evangelical Christianity in the UK. Why else would the Department for Education suggest that if a nine-year-old girl quotes the Bible to justify a moral position, she should be put on a list made available to social services of potential radical extremists? There is no connection between nine-year-olds quoting Bibles and radical extremism. But there is a chill factor towards Christianity. There is a negativity towards faith, and we shouldn't feel sorry for ourselves. We had the whole of culture fighting for us for a while. There's a growing secular narrative. There's these messaging around. But do you know what's brilliant? It's starting to eat itself for breakfast. Secularization's eating itself up. Otherwise, why is Jermaine Greer, the most famous feminist in the United Kingdom, is no platform from all UK universities because she said that transgender women aren't real women? What's happening? Peter Tatchell's been no platform too, the big Stonewall campaigner. What's happening? What chance have you got? We're living in a time when secularization doesn't work. You take any of these ideologies and you push them through, they do not work. They eat themselves up. Whereas Jesus has stood the test of time. In a hundred years' time, this nation will look totally different, but my Jesus will remain the same. And his good news will remain the same. We need to be strong in a time when it seems hard. I preached at the Sun newspaper. The Sun newspaper has a Christian union. And I preached at their outreach event. I shut my eyes as I walked along the corridors of the building so I didn't see any images that might cause me to stumble. And I went and I spoke at this event. And afterwards, I met a Christian lawyer who works at the Sun. I said, how does your newspaper view me? He said, narrow-minded extremist bigot. I said, thank you. I said, how do you view me? He says, child of the living God, living out your God-given calling. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, this has led to me developing an embryonic theory. Now, let me just say a disclaimer. I am not in any way a bigot. I don't want to in any way be a bigot. I do not promote bigotry in any sense. But I'm not going to keep fighting the perception that a lot of secularists have that I'm a bigot. Because there's only one way to change it. Lead them to Jesus. The only time someone gets it is when they come to faith. So here's my theory. Because so many of my friends are going liberal. You want to do one thing to lose new generations, go liberal. Because in the end, there's nothing to join. You just become magnolia wallpaper on the world's agenda. It's nothing distinct. It's just all the same. And a lot of my friends are going liberal on certain issues. Oh, we don't want to upset those people. You know, what we'll do is we'll think with our feelings, not with our Bibles, and we'll move to him, we'll move to him. But the thing is, this culture's moving quicker than them. So in the end, even if you've gone over here on all these issues, in the end, you'll be seen as a bigot. Whereas my view is this, be seen as a bigot early, crack on and hold to your biblical principles. Because if I hold to what's true here... In the end, culture's going to flip back. And when it flips back, I haven't lost the crown jewels of what it means to be a Christian, which is my understanding of the Bible and the understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask us to just follow him. He asks us to die with him. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn it on? We're going to turn to Acts 5. And just as you turn to Acts 5 verse 12, let me encourage you. The reason I said there's a misunderstanding is that's only one angle of the landscape. Aslan is proper on the move in the UK. I have seen more people come to faith in the last year than any year I've been ministering. Nearly all adults, and yet most people who come to faith are kids. 
I am talking to other people who say, this is a new season. Now, we can't, we can't justify that with stats and everything else, but my, all, all kinds of people say, it's a new season. We're seeing new fruit. We're seeing new things happen. This is an amazing time for the church to rise up, speak up, stand up, act up. I was out running a while ago, and I felt the Lord speak to me. You see, adults don't really come to faith that often. Children and young people are wet cement. You can make a huge impact really easily. As you get older, you dry out a little bit. So you get your chisel out, you have a go, and all the best. But when adults do come to faith, it's at junction moments. Junction moments or someone dies or, or you have a baby or you lose a job or you get a job or you get married. I was out running and I felt the Lord say to me, the whole of the United Kingdom is for two years at a junction moment because we are living in absolute chaos. Probably not since the end of the Second World War has this nation been at a time of being so utterly concerned about what's going to happen. No one knows where it's going to end, what's going to take place, what's going to go on. And it's in those moments, those junction moments, that people are open to the gospel in a new way. To tell you something, I've got views on Brexit, I've got views on politics, all those things. But it's totally different when you have Jesus. Because these things come and go, but Jesus remains. And we have a moment, we have a junction moment. Do not miss it, Barnabas. Don't miss it. Because in 10 years' time, the UK will be fine. I'm not saying I like it, but this nation knows how to stand on the necks of other people and make itself fine. But for two years, it's not going to be fine. It's going to be uncertain. I'm one of the few Christian leaders who prays for more chaos, not less. Because I think in the chaos, you get a junction moment. And in the junction moment, people meet Jesus. Don't miss it here. Let's turn to Acts 5. Verse 12 says this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill to the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look! The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. You know, as we face a landscape that feels difficult and yet full of opportunities, I think there's three things the Lord wants to say to you this morning. And they're really simple. The first is this. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is all-powerful. He can do anything. You know, I like running. So I went for a little loosener this morning, a little uh, six-mile loosener this morning in my Adidas running shoes. And I wear Adidas, as I just said. Their slogan is this, impossible is nothing. Every time I go running, I prove that to be false advertising. 
Because much is impossible when you put this body in a pair of running shoes. But with God, literally nothing is impossible. There is nothing God could not do in this community. There is no life beyond him, no breakthrough too great for him. In the passage, the apostles get in trouble because God's doing stuff. Now, I don't want to get in trouble unnecessarily, but I don't mind getting into trouble with my local council because God's doing so much and they don't know what to do about it, do you? For God to be doing so much, people can't miss it. Wouldn't it be brilliant for the whole whole county of Shropshire? God was doing so much that the authorities didn't miss it. Because God's so powerful, he can do anything. And I think we just need to recalibrate ourselves with that all-powerful God. Because we just get a bit used to him. But he could do anything. Even when we do things badly, he can do anything. He's all-powerful. Never forget my worst ever sermon. It was in North Wales. I drove all the way to North Wales, which, with respect, apart from from Shrewsbury, is a long way from anywhere. And I drove to North Wales... And I'd gone to this youth event. When I used to work with young people, I'd get told this. There will be hundreds of teenagers there. So I drove all the way to North Wales. It turns out I've got more fingers than there were young people there. There were nine young people at this event. There's a 10-foot high stage there that the churches have paid for. So they insist I preach from it because they've paid for it. I'm already six foot three, so there I am, 16 foot three, towering above a group of people smaller than the disciples in number. I didn't want to be there, but I did. I preached the gospel in a bad mood, not very well, but I did what I'd been brought there to do. Then back in the old days, you used to get given the ministry of envelopes. There's bank transfers these days, but it used to give you something in an envelope that was a gift towards your ministry. I always had a rule, don't open it till you get home. Allow yourself and the Lord to talk about how it went on the way home. Don't allow the size of the check to tell you how it went. So I drove all the way home. Eventually I got home, opened the envelope, out fell the gift. Five pound book token. You can't put that in a petrol tank. So I was like, I've paid for the privilege of this dreadful day. Till last year I was preaching in Stoke. This lad comes up to me, he's about 25. He starts describing that youth event. He says, do you remember that youth event in North Wales when there was no one there and there was a massive stage? So I remember it, mate. You want some, do you? <laughs> he says, I gave my life to Jesus that night. And he, said, <laughs> and he says, three weeks ago, I did my first mission. I'm a, I'm a youth pastor now. He said, I did a youth mission. We reached 32 young people who all gave their lives to Jesus. You only have to reach one Samaritan woman to reach their village. Go get some Samaritan women, because our God's all-powerful. But secondly, Christianity can't be swept away. Christianity can't be swept away. Do you know the fastest-growing church in the world is Iran? That's insane. Iran, where you know you can lose your life for owning a Bible. It's the fastest-growing church in the world. Anne was ministering in Turkey the other week to a load of Iranian pastors who were in Turkey for boot camp before going back. One of our friends, David Yegnazar, they often hire a Turkish swimming pool in a hotel to baptize a load of Iranians at nighttime. Because God's moving. Because the thing is, you can't get rid of Christianity. This is so encouraging. There may be the odd casualty, but you can't get rid of Christianity. Back in the passage... It's not just Peter and John who'd earlier been arrested and put in prison. This time, all the apostles are put in prison. They're thrown in because the authorities think, we'll put them in a cage that will deal with it. 
But then you can imagine that the apostles had a different perspective to you and I. They looked at the two guards once they were in prison and thought, ah, fair game, we'll we'll evangelize them. (laughs) You know, a lot of life is about perspective. When David fights Goliath, he's got two choices. One, he's so big he's going to kill me. Or two, he's so big there's no way I'm going to miss. And I think the church has got to be the second, not the first. Because the all-powerful God is with us and Christianity won't be swept away. And, and what you've got, let's just visualize it a minute. You know, when it comes to the Bible, too often we say what it says, not what it looks like. Especially if you want to work with younger generations, we've got to bring the Bible to life visually. Because what it looks like is outrageous. You only have to think of when Moses sees the sea split. What does that look like? What if there's a killer whale? Does that split? I just like to think, what's going on? Or when Jesus rises from the dead in the book of John, do you know what the first thing he does is? Folds up the dirty washing. He rises from the dead, he folds up one of the sheets. Mary raised him well. (laughs) Then at some point he thinks, hang on, I'm the saviour of the world. I can leave the other sheet. Let's crack on. But what's amazing in this passage is the apostles have been preaching, then they're locked up. Then an angel of the Lord comes along in the night, wanders past the guards, unlocks the door, lets them out. Now here's the funny bit. Locks it up again and then tells them to go off and preach because the world has caged them, but God's more powerful. Friends, we have to not feel sorry for ourselves. Too many Christians are feeling sorry for themselves in the UK. We have been given the opportunity to shine in this nation. For, for ages, we've been part of the culture. We're now given the chance to be salt that flavors, light that brings light. We've got an opportunity we've not had for a while. But let's not feel sorry for ourselves. Because throughout human history, Christians have been attacked. Christians have been attacked in all since the start of the church. Christians have been attacked. From the first disciples, many of them dipped in pitch and used as human candles in Nero's garden through to the so-called Islamic State in recent years. Christians get wiped out, but Christianity doesn't. The odd person might be a casualty. We might lose the odd battle. We never lose the war. And what we've got to do, because I, honestly, I believe that the next 10 years for evangelicals in the UK, really hard. After that, amazing. And I believe this because I think it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And the the radical remnant that stand strong, stand firm, keep being the crazy Jesus people, but love others at the same time, those people will change this nation. But it's going to get harder before it gets better. But in the middle of that, we just have to realize whatever seemingly has done to us, they can't wipe us out. You know, when you know the end of the story, it changes how you behave. When I was 16 years old, the film Titanic came out. I went to watch it. It was three and a half hours of my life. I'll never get back. And you know what? You watch it for three and a half hours. Do you know what happens at the end? The boat sinks. I'm like, I already knew that. When you know the end of the story, it changes everything. Let me tell you what happens. Whatever happens between now and the end of time, whatever goes wrong, whatever revivals there are, whatever persecution there is, Whatever terrorism rises up, whatever wars there are or rumours of wars, however many Mother Teresas rise up or don't rise up, however much injustice and pain and difficulty there is, however much joy, life and hope there is, in the end, whatever happens between now and the end, in the end, Jesus wins. 
That changes everything. Therefore, if we have this all-powerful God and we know the end of the story, we live different. Which is why finally, we're compelled to share the message. We're compelled to share the message. Does anyone know what they are? Grains of sand. Grains of sand look look the same from a distance, but up close under a microscope, grains of sand look very different. Here's the thing, it's a bit like people. People might look similar, but grains of sand look different. And what we've got to do is we've got to accept our part in sharing the message. Because I've had enough of the professionalization of evangelism. I think it's one of the mistakes the church has made. We've got a few big mouths that will get on platforms and lead people to Jesus, and we thought, that's done. We've got a course here and this here and this here. No, 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 no. The Great Commission is about people reaching people, that people will reach people, that people will reach people. We've got tools along the way. You won't lose people like me preaching our guts out, but we have lost people in their normal, everyday settings witnessing to Jesus. We need to rediscover that. We're compelled to share. We do these videos on the Great Commission site. One was of this lad, Ben. Ben's in year nine. Shares his faith at school. He's a bit of a geeky lad. Bless him, he's the bravest guy I've ever seen a video about. His grandma didn't even know that Ben was a Christian. She went to church one Sunday night. It was about sharing your faith. And a lot of these videos get downloaded and played by churches because they're all there totally free. It's just a resource. And she sat in church whilst they say, we're going to just play a video of this amazing young lad who shares his faith at school. It's her grandson. She starts properly crying. Four seats down from her is her friend Reg. Reg is 87. He's never, ever invited anyone to church before. At the end of the service, he stands up and says, will you all pray for me because I want to be like Ben. That's the beautiful thing about church, isn't it? There's no age hierarchy. That's why it's lovely when you're getting some words earlier. Do you know why? We're all God's children. He doesn't have grandchildren. We're all the same. And Reg then, a few weeks later, brings his friend Jimmy to church. All because of what he's seen there. We've all got to play our part. No one's too old or too out of touch or too invalid. We all play our part in witnessing, not to who we are, as the world says, but whose we are, children of the living God. The Sanhedrin was convened. This is the Jewish council. And they were humiliated to discover that there were no apostles in the cage they'd locked them in. I love this visual moment too. Because I don't know about you, but, but I'm not really clever. I'm one of four children, and the other three are basically geniuses. But I didn't get the brains, I got the looks. <laughs> and, and what I've learned growing up alongside people that are really, really clever is that very often, very, very clever people have no common sense. So they can solve the biggest problems of the world, but they don't know how to hammer in a nail, right? And so what I imagine with the Sanhedrin are very wealthy, very smartly dressed, very intelligent, not much common sense. And I imagine them sat around in this room looking at each other and thinking, what's happened? We locked them up, what's going on? And they're trying to solve this complex thing. Then one of them looks out the window and goes, surprise! They're preaching in the courtyard where you told them not to yesterday. They're back doing it again. I love that moment, don't you? Because even though they've been locked up for it, when they come out again, they have to share. If you love Jesus, you're a missionary or an imposter. And what we've got to do is start being missionaries. Every single person is called to witnessing. This nation is not being one for Jesus because we think it's the job of other people. 
Now, it's not necessarily about you being the one, if you like, to fire the gun or whatever else, but you've got to be a signpost to Jesus. We've got to reclaim every place we find ourselves as somewhere to point people towards the living Jesus. Evangelism is not for professionals. And here's the thing as well. I'll be honest, I can be a bit much for some people. It's a surprise, isn't it? I break etiquette. I talk to people on tubes. I pray for people in restaurants when they bring me my dinner. I I can be a bit much. That's fine. But there'll be someone else that needs you. And you'll be the way of getting through. We've got to be able to prepare to share whatever we are. Evangelism is not a personality type. Witnessing is for everyone. You know, because we've all got different personalities. I've done quite a lot with the black majority church. Did you know 25% of evangelicals in the United Kingdom aren't white? I thank the Lord for immigration. I thank the Lord for reverse mission. We would be stuffed otherwise. And they have the churches that are growing the fastest, that pray the most. And I'm doing quite a lot with the black church on how to reach white people. Which is a load of fun. And I went with my friend, Pastor Agu, who runs the Redeemed Church, has 1,500 churches in the UK. I went and preached at his gathering for all his leaders. There's 1,500 in a room. I'm the only white person. Pastor Agu says, this is my friend, Gavin. He has the wrong personality for his nationality. (laughs) He says he's one of us. But here's the thing. Whatever your personality share, all must witness. We've professionalized for too long. All must witness. I met a passion expert because I'm concerned I'm not passionate enough. And she said to me, can you tell how, sorry, how can you tell what people are passionate about? I said, what they spend their money on. She said, no, don't be so stupid. That's a terrible answer. She said, what you spend your money on is socially conditioned. I said, well, how do you tell? She says, two ways. Firstly, what people spend their time on. Time is the most precious thing you have. And secondly, what people talk about. She said, it's impossible to spend half an hour in someone's presence and not know what they love because it comes out of their mouth. Are you in awe of Jesus enough that it's not possible to spend half an hour with someone without him pouring out of you? Or is it time to recommit to this living Jesus and say, I'm going for this more? Because at the moment, I don't have that. You see, I really believe as a church, you've got an amazing opportunity to do something significant. I shared yesterday at the Shropshire prayer breakfast, I honestly believe a move of God is coming to the United Kingdom that none of us are ready for, but it's going to transform this nation. If it doesn't come in my lifetime, I will die believing it was coming the next day, but I do believe it's coming. And I'm certain it won't come to London first. Because let's be honest, revivals don't start in capital cities very often. They start in other places, and then that place takes the nation. Why not here? Why not here? Why not here, where the same all-powerful God is present? Why not here when no matter what's thrown at you, Christianity won't be swept away? And why not here with a whole church reaching the whole community? Jesus changed the world with a youth group of 12. According to the late John Stott, they were aged 15 to 22, those disciples. He only had nine proper ones, because let's face it, one of them doubted him, one denied him, one betrayed him. So 75% success rate. And then that bunch of young folks changed the world. What could you do? What could you do here? People say to me often, why are you so passionate about this? And I think that's such a strange question. If Jesus lives in your heart, then you're desperate for others to meet him. And I think as a church, we need to stop getting bored of the gospel. The gospel's remarkable. Jesus came from highest heaven to lowest earth. He started his ministry in the Jordan Valley, the physically lowest place on earth. He literally went from the highest to the lowest to get the lowest that they might go to the highest. That's amazing. 
Then he walked the earth giving food to the hungry, health to the sick, life to the dead. Then he died upon a cross, taking every wrong thing upon himself. You've ever done, ever would do, ever could do, ever might do. That you needn't be punished, but could know life in all its fullness now. And life in all its fullness forever. Three days later, they go to the grave. There's no body there. Because I tell you something, my Jesus is not dead. My Jesus is alive. And he defeated death. He defeated the grave. That you would have a chance to know life in all its fullness. But Christians are bored of that message. And the world doesn't know it yet. I pray every morning, Lord, make me infectious for you that I would be dangerous for you today. We need a freshness to the message that it pours out on us. People will say, yeah, but does this stuff really work? I was asked that in a school this week. I did a debate on this. Religion is toxic for society and only a cause of harm. Discuss. It was as much fun as it sounds. (laughs) And I was asked, how do you know this stuff's true? I'll tell you the same story I told them. My grandma had Alzheimer's disease. She had it as bad as you can have it. For the last eight years of her life, she sat in a corner of a nursing home dribbling on a teddy bear. She couldn't speak. The money had run out. The friends had gone. She didn't recognize my dad, her only child, or me, one of her grandchildren. Where was Jesus? She'd followed Jesus for 60 years. Where's Jesus when you've literally lost your mind? My mum went in to see my grandma on my grandma's birthday once. It was all for my mum's benefit because my grandma didn't know what a birthday was, who my mum was, or anything about presents. And my mum sat in my grandma's bedroom. She turned to this dear lady who lived with mental torture and said, can I pray with you? And my grandma can't speak, so... um, Being a good evangelical Christian, my mum was. She took it as the yes she wanted to hear. (laughs) And my mum prayed that this dear old lady would feel peace in the midst of mental torture. Then when my mum finished praying, she was delighted that my grandma's eyes were shut. But then something remarkable happened. For the only time in the last eight years of life, my grandma spoke as she prayed. She said, I don't know who I am, and I don't know what I am, and I don't know where I am. But Lord Jesus, please love me. You can lose your mind. You can lose your friends. The money soon runs out. The drugs don't work. Life can be very, very difficult. But you still have the good shepherd leading the sheep. The time has come in the landscape we're faced with for the church to rise up, step up, act up and be different. The time has not come for half-hearted Christianity. If we go with half-hearted Christianity, we are going to give our children and our children's children a terrible inheritance as the church. But if we go out on a limb, saying that, you know what, the all-powerful God's with us. Whatever the world does to us, it won't wipe us out. And in the end, we are compelled to share. We could see a move of God we've only dreamt or read about. I hope you're up for joining in. Because I think the Lord's ready. The question is, are we? Let's pray, shall we? just ask everyone just to shut your eyes in this moment because we'll do something else in a moment but I just want to give the opportunity if anyone here does not know the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour you don't know what it is to have surrendered your life to Jesus to have accepted that offer of life in all its fullness now life in all its fullness forever you don't know what it is to be forgiven from all the rubbish in your life and loved by the perfect Father in a way that brings hope and change In a minute, I'm going to give you the opportunity, if you want to, to choose to give your life to Jesus this morning, to surrender your life to him. But also, just a real sense outrunning this morning that there's some people here, you know, you wear the badge, Christian, you don't doubt it, but you you walk with the Lord, it's just nowhere, if you're honest. Your prayer life's almost non-existent. Your Bible reading, what happened to that? 
You've never doubted this stuff. You just need an opportunity to dust yourself down and say, do you know what, Lord? I'm not where I want to be. So I'm going to recommit my life to you. Not because I've doubted you, but because I'm not living the life I want to be living for you. Today could be an important day for you. We do this with young people all the time. With adults, we assume they don't need it. But I just have a sense there's a, there's a few folk here this morning who need to say, do you know what, Lord? I'm not where I need to be. I need to recommit my life to you, dust myself down and start again in my walk with you that I would do better in living for you. So if either of those are you, the first time I'll recommitment, no one's looking at you, I just want to know who I'm praying for. Would you just put your hand up if either of those are you this morning? That'd be wonderful. Just put up nice and high. That's fantastic. And I wonder, can you just keep it up if it's a first-time decision? Or if you're not sure if it's a first time, it probably is. So there's a couple at the back. We're just Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that in this place today, you have moved. And I thank you, Lord, that for some they've decided it's time to dust themselves down and recommit their lives to you. I pray, Lord, that would not need to happen again because it would last. I ask, Lord, it would be meaningful. And I pray they would share with someone today and that they would have a great next few days and that the evil one would be gone. For those for whom it might have been a first-time choice, welcome to the family. It's great that there's a party in heaven, but there's a party here too. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that those people with no life in all its fullness today. And I'd love to, we'll keep our eyes shut, I'd love to encourage every person who put their hand up, please do me one last favour. At the end of the meeting, when you're told where the, where the ministry team are, just go and pray with one of them. Because there's two things. One, it cements what you did. But two, do you know what? It really blesses them. There's no greater privilege than praying for someone when they've either given their life to Jesus the first time or, or recommitted. And there's no shame. We all need to do this stuff sometimes. Secondly, Every school report I ever had said you've got to do better, apart from PE. Everything. Do better, do better, do better. Could do better, could do better. Just as we were praying, and I had a sense for some of us, as you hear me talking about witnessing, you think it's just inaccessible. But actually, all we've got to try doing is, we, we, you know, we could do better. Do you know what, in my workplace, I could do better at talking about Jesus. Do you know what, my neighbours, I could do better. In my family, I could do better. With my friends, I could do better. Maybe sometimes I could do better at coming off a rotor at church. Whoa, I'm getting in trouble here. And getting a hobby with a load of people who don't know Jesus. I could do better at being salt and light. I could do better. I think it'd be really easy to do a response that says, do you know what, you want to be out there as a witness making a massive difference, and that feels inaccessible. But I actually think the Lord's got you on a journey. It's no coincidence you've got someone else coming to talk about revival next. You know, it's going to just, if this snowball goes down the hill, this is going to be an amazing adventure for you as a church. But I just wonder if the first steps for some people here is the Lord's prompting you, do you know what? You could do a bit better. And I'll be with you tomorrow. I'll be with you on Tuesday. I'll be with you on Wednesday. And just, it would be a real privilege for Martin and I just to pray for those who, who feel that they'd love the Lord to help them do better at being a witness for him. Do better at being a signpost to him in the places you find yourself. So if that's you and you're able, would you just stand if that's you this morning and you're able? One of the wonderful things about Christianity is no one's left out as well. So if you're not sure, maybe I'm too old, or maybe I'm too young, or maybe I'm... No, the Lord just says, I want to use you too. So, so if some of those sort of 
little lies that might sometimes stop us. We're, we're stopping you responding. There's still, there's still time, but we're not going to. I think what I'd like us to do is a prayer of two halves. I have to get a football reference in somewhere. But I'm not here next week. So I think there's, there's power in me praying a blessing, but there's real power in Martin. He'll be here next week. Praying that this journey, well, he might not be here next week. We'll be here at some point before I am. Praying a real blessing on this church at this time that we may become greater witnesses for Jesus. So Lord Jesus, I want to pray a real blessing on those who've responded to your word this morning. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us be greater witnesses to you. I thank you, Lord, that you're with us. The all-powerful God is with us. We thank you, Lord, wherever we find ourselves this week and we don't want to share you, you're there with us. I pray that you would prompt us in those settings. I pray, Lord, you'd give us open goals of opportunities that we can't miss. Even if we wanted to miss them, we can't miss them. But I ask, Lord, that you would remind us that we stand with a global family, a global family that's brave, a global family that's loving, and a global family that uses its hands, its feet, and its hearts to share you with the world. Might we play our part here in doing that, we pray. Father, we do thank you. And we believe that blessing... A blessing is coming to this church as we follow you. So we're going to take courage. We're going to move forward. We're going to step out, Lord. We're going to trust you. And we just thank you that you're here with us. Thank you for everything you've done over many years. Thank you for the incredible plans for the future. And Lord, we want to end today by just remembering an early prophetic word about courage. So we land it, Lord, by saying we take courage. We're stepping out. We're trusting you. We're moving forward. So be with us as we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Shall we show appreciation to Gavin? He'll be over there uh, with uh, the books and all the other information he mentioned, I think, at the end, or some, uh, someone else will be there. Uh, with that information. Can I have the prayer team up, please, straight away now? Um, and uh, those who would like to receive prayer, and now is your moment. Uh, the formal part of the meeting ends at this point. Um, you, uh, children and youth will finish right now. Tea and coffee are served. If you're a visitor, don't, don't forget to uh, check in at the welcome desk. Come and see Gavin if you want to talk to him about anything that he mentioned. Don't forget what Terry said about this evening, 6.30 prayer, 7.30 encounter. And uh, we look forward to seeing you shortly. God bless you. Have a good day. Maybe see you this evening.